Welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings and experiences of COVID, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham and I co-host this podcast with my friend Sylvia. This podcast is not for profit, it will never be for profit and we are interested in hearing people's real views. We never censor and we are interested in all perspectives. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I speak to Lorraine of Expat Radio. I was on Lorraine's show yesterday and you can find a recording of that conversation in the previous episode on this podcast. However, this conversation was recorded a couple of weeks back and we were inspired to chat because her son had been invited for COVID-19 vaccination despite the fact that he is too young to give consent and he has several clinical contraindications. The most interesting thing Lorraine said from my perspective though in this conversation is around the hour remark about why the coronavirus regulations and mitigation measures are so easily got around. This was another great conversation. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Today is the 11th of August 2021 and I am speaking to Lorraine Finlay. Hello Lorraine. Hello Christine, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? I am very well, but quite annoyed and quite angry and quite scared if I'm honest about everything that's going on just now. And mm. I think like yourself, Julia, you said the urgency that this is the time to really be speaking up. Everybody needs to get speak up. Yep, definitely. Um, so you are a presenter on a radio station called Expat Media. Is that correct? I am indeed. Yes. That's correct. And yeah. So this is a radio station that goes live every day. Mm-hmm. It goes live. Mm-hmm. It goes yeah, worldwide twenty four seven. Um it's original set up for the heart community but um it's went out now to over a hundred countries. So yeah. Oh, very oh. I've never really heard of it and I'm going to be on it. Next week, you are next week. Um, so I'll need to go and do some uh, listening to it. Um, it sounds really good because it's a bit of a sort of free speech platform by the sense of things where people's views are not censored, much like here on Corona Stories. We never censor. Very, very, yeah, very true. We don't so, censor. Sometimes I have to edit my own ramblings out of the podcast. We never censor our guests. Um, yeah, so you came to my attention. We've got a few common friends that we've never met. Hopefully, we will uh, very soon. But you came to my attention because you referred to an experience that you'd had with your son relating to the vaccine. And I was quite horrified, but not surprised to read your story. And it certainly chimes with lots of stories that we've been hearing um, about children's vaccinations and things, and children with special needs, particularly trying to access healthcare and things at the time. So your son's called Aaron, is that right? Yes, yeah. Aaron, Aaron is my middle son. Yeah. And he's 16 years old, is that right? Yes, yeah, he's mm-hmm. 16, he'll be 17 next, well, a couple of months he'll be 17, oh. but when this happened, he, was, he just turned 16 actually when this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's got Down syndrome. He does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and an unrelated heart condition that we don't really need to go into the in details of. But so, what? When did he get his vaccine invitation or instruction or whatever you want to call right. it? Right. This is where I'm trying to sort of, um, you know, get, get the, the, the timeline right. Um, I, it was probably, so, so, I think maybe sort of March, April, so when the sort of diktat was issued that the jab would be made available to special needs, special needs children or, or special needs adults, you know, because, um, you know, this is when it was probably still getting offered to people in their 60s, 70s and 80s, so before the age jacket had dropped. And they came out and said that everybody with special needs should be offered the jab. Why? I'm not sure, because just because you're special needs doesn't really mean you have necessarily any physical conditions that would make you at higher risk from COVID as a, as a blanket group. You know, it's not the group that tends to be like, you know, the elderly, just working with comorbidities, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I'm um, reasonably familiar with the... COVID statistics for Scotland and the UK, I suppose. Um, and I don't think that there's any particular reason to think that a child with Down syndrome is particularly at risk from COVID. I don't know. That... I would agree with you because when the first lockdown came about, um, I have Adam has an annual meeting with a pediatrician, and uh, it, it was around about that time. And so this was on the phone. It was a telephone one, and um, he said, I said, what about, you know, there's obvious thing about shielding, and Aaron goes to a special school, there's a lot of the children there wear shielding, because a lot of them are health compromised, okay, not not just um, special needs. Mm-hmm. And the pediatrician advised that Aaron does not, does not need to be in the shielding group, um, that really for, for a child like Aaron's, you know, routine, being sociable, everything like that, just sort of isolate him would be really, really detrimental to, to his welfare. Mm. So that was good and well. Then about two weeks later, a letter comes out saying that Adam should be in the Sheldon group, which I duly found. Um, so we just carried on as normal as we could within lockdown. And, you know, didn't change anything. He doesn't wear a mask or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Again, found that the the, the the vaccination thing was rolled out. It was meant to be vulnerable and elderly first, and then you know we all heard it back to normal. And of course, the the goalpost had been changing, and then came out the, the sort of the the going to um, vaccinate special needs as a group. I did see a few things in the case about oh, Down syndrome as prone to die from it, but again, you know Down syndrome. People do have compromised immune systems. They, they do tend to age faster, and they often do have underlying health conditions. But this wasn't done on a health thing; it was done on a special needs bracket. So it wasn't just Down syndrome. So it, it, to me, it, it didn't make any sense. But mm-hmm. when I got the phone call, I, was, I, I met him like quite a quite a day. I very welcome, and the phone call came through from my surgery, and it was the girl on reception. So nobody, so no medical training. Saying, Doctor, I won't mention the name, so and so says Aaron has to come in and get his um, vaccination. And I was like, right, okay, 
Now, Aaron has um, cardiomyopathy, has a, a, a condition called idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy, which is on the way to Down syndrome. They think um, idiopathic means they don't know what caused it, but they think it was maybe a virus when I was pregnant. So he doesn't have the home the heart of the standard Down defects. This is, you know, totally bad luck. So Aaron's heavily medicated for that. So anybody looking at Adam's sort of medical records can see that he's on things like digoxin, um, lysinitol, because his heart does not function at full capacity. And Adam was severely ill as a baby with this heart condition, and we were told he's 50-50 for the C2. So I asked okay. this girl, I said, well, how is this vaccination going to react with digoxin and lysinitol with these two heart medications? And she was like... I don't know, but the doctor so-and-so said you've got to come get it. And I, and I was like, no. I said, you'll not be coming to get it and take him off the record. And now I'm... I so wish that me, was, sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah. tell me, did, had you done you know, research into this to, that you understood that the um, vaccine had sort of contraindications for people who... Yeah. I think the whole the whole thing about it is my background is you know I'm a psychotherapist and I'm a nutritionist, so I'm hugely hugely uh, you know that's my job is health, it's fitness, it's diet, it's medicine. And this illness for us has been you know so all consuming. So if you told a child is you know potentially going to die, you know everything yeah. that you can find out about medicines etc. So anything that's offered to add and I really research. Also, with COVID, I, from the start, was extremely, extremely suspicious about it. I didn't um, buy into it at all in any format. And to me, the vaccine, when the vaccine was first mooted, I could see the point of, yes, people do a balance of risk. You do this assessment, if you're elderly and you've got comorbidities, you then make a choice. If you think you would fare better with the vaccine, fair enough, that, that is your choice. But as, you know, never had it been vaccinating children, never had it been, like, dropping down age groups. And also, by this stage, they, they were coming out with the yellow card problems. Um, I had had friends um, who have had problems with it, two close friends, but close friends and family friends of mine, and I can say this because it's true, they went blind after having the vaccine. Two of them? We, Two of them, people in their sixties, two separate families in their sixties, went blind after having the vaccine. Yeah. And yeah. Can I just go back just for? Mm-hmm. Um, you said there that you didn't buy into the COVID thing at all. Can you explain, like, what you mean by that? Okay. From day one, I, I'm I'm fifty one. Okay, so you know I lived through like SARS, uh, you know, like spine flu, you know, everything like that. And when this was first muted about this virus in China and people dropping dead in the street, we were talking about it a lot on radio. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. And it's the same sort of narrative that we've had in the past that, you know, um, remember, oh, foot and mice and everything, they slaughtered hundreds of animals, mm. everybody's going to, even the AIDS, you know, the AIDS epidemic, AIDS is, is you're, you're younger than me, but um, when I was at school, it was at the time of the AIDS outbreak, and it was like basically everybody was going to die of AIDS. 
I actually you remember, remember that? I remember watching a BBC program. Now it must have been you know, it was like that um Sunday morning programme that's on with that plonker Nicky Campbell. Or oh, that sort of set up like that, you know, one of those and I remember them talking about AIDS. Now, I must have been really quite young. I remember thinking, this seems really daft. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it was. It, it was hysteria. And one of the doctors, and I, I've actually read his book, and his name um, escapes me, but he was one of the doctors that said that this, virus, how they are saying that this this is the AIDS virus, that it passes through touch. And the team's adamant that this this was not the case. This is not how this was transmitted. And he was vilified and he was, and he actually was then became instrumental in um what's the word creating that not the vaccine phase, but you know, the, the treatment. Uh-huh. And then and then he was looking at now he's actually come out I'm not going to find his name and he said the same thing about uh, COVID-19, uh-huh. but this transmission what they're saying, and again, he, he's absolutely um, stamped down on it, he's seen it um, oh, you know what it's called, virus oh, he, he, got, he won the Nobel Prize he's a Nobel Prize winning um, scientist with Montagne yes, with Montagne exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, and again, he's come out and said, you know, the same thing about this and yet he's rubbish and ridiculed so I'd already kind of lived through these kind of hysterical stories in the press, so this uh, you know, putting my clothes in one more recent one. So I really was like, oh, this will just be the same, you know, kind of thing. And then um, a girl that I do read with, she was in Paris and she, um, they were in lockdown. Mm-hmm. She, she, she phoned me up, I was outside Tesco's and she's in Paris and she says, they've locked in our house. She goes, we can't go out without a piece of paper. And I remember thinking, that will never happen here. I remember that clearly state, that will never happen here. This is utter nonsense. And um, within so many weeks, we were all trying to the 23rd March, 2020, is three weeks to flatten the car. So I think even then I was like, nah, this just doesn't make any sense. And then it was all the orchestrated stuff, like the panic buy-in. You know, as soon as you say to a society, there's a shortage of something, there becomes a demand. You create that demand. You know, a few photos of empty shelves. This hysteria, and it, I just never, ever, ever got into it. Um, you know, I might have been proven on, but I just I didn't. I don't know if it's like the Scottish sort of thing. I'm like, this just doesn't add up. Viruses are not spread by shopping trolleys. Um, they don't lie in surfaces for three weeks. It was just the hysteria, and it was, and it was also the psychopop, the propaganda. And if you hadn't drive something by really quite transparent propaganda, if, we, if you're in a genuine pandemic and people are dying, at your, you know, the way this was pr- pr- reported to be, you don't need to do any of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, that's it. So, yeah, very suspicious of the, 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 the COVID, not buying into it at all. I mean, I do believe there's a virus. Yeah, I do believe there's a certain that group. That's really what I was looking for clarity on. So, yeah, yeah, we, we I, I totally... our detractors who say that we're COVID deniers and stuff. Now, we've had yeah. very serious COVID in our house. Somebody ended up in the hospital. We I, we are definitely um, very much believers of COVID, but it's just the question is, 
has our response been in any way proportionate? And you're saying that from the beginning you thought it was no, absolutely it's not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I completely believe there's a virus. I completely believe it, it, it has killed, you know, it basically, you know, it has killed a certain faction of the population. And what we have to remember as well, which I thought was really interesting, I didn't realise that until not that long ago, actually, that, um, the, do you remember that the, the cruise ship that was, um, they were all kept in, they were all kept in board, was oh, it yeah, the Diamond Princess? Yeah. Well, I'm, listening to an epidemiologist, I can't remember his name, who again won a Nobel Prize. So we're not talking about mm-hmm. we're not talking about Phil, Phil and Holly here. We're talking actual you know, really people that know what we're talking about. He said that that ship was your ultimate control experiment. Yeah. So you had talking about Michael Levitt. I can't remember it's like it was an American guy, you know, I genuinely oh, cannot right. remember. Oh right, okay, okay. Um, I was back from New York a few weeks ago and I sat and listened to his whole thing for an hour and a half. And he said this was a control experiment. You could treat it as like the ideal control experiment. So you had your group that were elderly and infirm and you know, a good proportion of them died. You had a proportion that got it, were quite ill, didn't die. And you had, I can't remember the exact percentages he had done, that actually didn't get it. They, they did not contract it. I know, so 80%, they didn't get it. 80% of the ship didn't get infected at all. D- d- didn't get it. And they were kept on that ship for how long was it? It was like, you know, it was a fair period yeah. of time. Yeah. And he said, it does what a virus does. It will rip through, I hate that term, but it will, it will, it will go through the vulnerable and the, the people that it will take out. And as it does this, it sort of becomes more benign. And it said, this virus, he said it was only ever infecting. I think I think he said it was within. That's right. When you looked at it and you modelled it, because it, it was almost replicating through the country. And when you went maybe six months into the pandemic, and using the terms and very commas, you could look at the replication in the countries. And it said it actually looked, and it actually was that it only went, it only infected. Now, I'm seeing 10,000 people, that might not be right. See, that's the figure, and it died out. It wasn't doing what this modeling is like, you know, if three people give it, they give it to six people, give it to 12 people, give it to... That, yeah. that wasn't what it was doing. No. He said it, and he said it was doing what a virus does. It was no different. And he said, and what we've done by lockdown, by suppressing it, and he said, and now going on to do mass vaccination, you're not giving this virus an out. So it will mutate because even the mutations that we've got just now will be various. He says they're actually just a tiny variable yeah. of what it is anyway. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not any worse. Um, but people don't listen to things like that. They will not go and research it. So again, that kind of saying this virus is really not particularly different. It's maybe a wee bit more infectious, but it's not making people, you know, once it's taken out, who it's taken out. And that sounds really trite and Every death is a tragedy, and I don't mean it like that, but people will die. And another thing he said was that the people that were dying from it, it wasn't, even if they were severely ill, it wasn't take, it wasn't killing them like a few, like a year earlier or even six months earlier. It was probably killing them three or four weeks before they probably would have died anyway. And he says, in years to come, you'll see that in the excess death. But actually, these people, they weren't getting, their life wasn't even shortened by months or years. It was probably weeks if they got the virus. 
which again puts a different slant on it. So, so that's where I, I was, you know, that's where I am the virus. So when the vaccination thing came out, yeah, my to me, I looked at it and I myself was offered the vaccine in when it first came out because I'm asthmatic and celiac, so two autoimmune diseases. I refused it right away. The worst thing you can do to if to me if you've got an autoimmune disease is um take something that is mucking about with your immune system. That's just you know, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, and with Aaron, no way. So he's got cardiology, he's got a compromised car, car, um, heart cardiology problem to give him something that we know through their yellow card is causing cardiology problems, myocarditis, cotton strokes. We don't know how it reacts with medicine. We don't know how it reacts long-term, what it's doing. Why would you give that to a healthy child? bad enough. Why would you give it to a child whose um, health is compromised? It makes no sense whatsoever, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So you spoke to the girl at the reception. Yeah, and declined it. But I thought you you not had a conversation with the doctor. No, you can't get, I tried to contact the doctor and as usual, you can't see a doctor for loving their money. Um, you know, you could, get a, you could speak to, you know, it would be a Zoom call, but doc, a doctor would not speak to me. The only way I would get to speak to a doctor, um, if I said I was thinking about it, I might have gone to speak to a doctor to discuss it, but a doctor couldn't actually answer these questions because we don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I was going to, I was going to complain, you know, I, I thought, I'm going to complain. And then I thought, you know what, it's actually quite pointless. In the surgery, you're dealing with doctors that are on a government diktat to, to roll the site. You're speaking to a nurse who, no, that wasn't even a nurse, somebody who has no experience, doesn't know. If you try and phone your surgery, um, I don't know what yours is like up in Aberdeen where you are, but here it's like you get like a 45 minute message about COVID and all the different things before you can even speak to somebody. But at the end of the day, you're just rubbish. They don't care. It's like, oh, well, I don't want them to have it. That's fine. That's it. It's not, but wait a minute, this is potentially, you're offering this child something that is potentially lethal. Yeah. We don't know on a whim because he's special needs. And I think my concern is how many people who've got, well, I know, I know it myself because I know probably most of the children that I'm in school probably will be um, vaccinated um, because people just don't think. They, they just assume because the doctor says, come down and do it, that it, it is the best interest of the child. And that's where this is wrong. It should never be offered to children. Period. I know. I think this is... I mean, this is something that I feel very comfortable about saying um, because this is an experimental product and we don't have long-term data on it. Humans are never supposed to be the subject of medical experiments and that's what we're doing here. And yet the American data, the Canadian data and the Israeli data risk of myocarditis. And, you know, it it keeps saying in all the news reports and in some of the scientific papers about this as well that well the children have made a good recovery but it's like but what sort of recovery does one make from myocarditis i mean you don't i mean once, once your heart is yeah once your heart is scarred which is what myocarditis you know 
that's, I was listening to a cardiologist talking about this, and he was saying that once the heart is damaged, it's damaged. It's, it's like once they're scarring on a, a, you know, the heart vessel, an organ, you're not going to, it, the heart doesn't regenerate like that. Mm. You know, it's like Aaron's cardiomyopathy. Um, we always work by numbers, and apparently, when you're a child, the heart, the ideal number for the heart is 26. That's when it's a beating at capacity, whatever. 26 is, is the holy grail for us. And Adam's heart was down to function at six. That's how bad he was. He, was, he, was, you know, he nearly died. He, at the moment, is moving in near 26. You know, but he is functioning. To look at him, you would never know. But that's taking medicine and ongoing medication for life that's adjusted accordingly. Long-term pro- prognosis. We know not. You know, if Adam got bad dose of pneumonia or whatever, he has been really ill with things like that. You have to realise with that knowledge that, you know, he is compromised, but to willingly put something inside him that you do not know the long-term effects of, it doesn't stop him getting COVID. That's the thing. So, you know, if Adam gets COVID, he gets COVID. Um, they're saying that the vaccine supposedly stops you being ill enough to to die from it, but there was an, I don't know if you've seen this, I saw it yesterday in the paper, it was a couple who, and it was Scotland, um, I think the gentleman was 73 and the lady was 71, they both um, contracted COVID, they were getting treated in the joint room, the gentleman died and the, the his wife didn't want any more treatment, so she died a couple of days later, really sad. They were both double vaccinated and it did say, um, you know, they both had underlying health conditions. So being doubly vaccinated obviously doesn't stop you, you know, whether it was the COVID that killed them or the underlying conditions. I, I actually go over the point of the article because it was a bit, or, you know, why you saying that. But it doesn't stop you getting it. So if Aaron gets it, his body will do what his body does, just like if you've got the flu, if you've got pneumonia. I genuinely do not see the any benefit and given that I can see plenty of problems but I can see no benefit um, I mean the thing is if, it make, if the vaccine makes him less sick with Covid if he were to be infected um, well how sick is he going to be with Covid if he catches it without the vaccine he's probably statistically extremely unlikely to get very unwell with it because we haven't seen that, we haven't seen that in kids with special needs or you know, really any children. It's been very rare for children to get very ill. And this is the thing, children who are in hospital with myocarditis are very ill. You know, and it just, it's absolutely astonishing to me that anybody is actually making any arguments for childhood vaccination. Um, or, I mean, not childhood, I mean this vaccine in particular. Um, yeah. And just adding it to the normal diet like it's a like it's a normal vaccine. It's it's not even a vaccine. It's not. It's, it's not. And it's it's when people go, oh, you're you know you're not a vaccine. With my children, including Adam, have had their all the jabs. Like there's never been an issue about it. This is not a vaccine. This is you know there's also thought it's not even medicine. It's a medical device. And and yet it's sort of like been approved for trials under the medicine banner. Who actually it's a medical device, and it's. It actually says in the leaflet that there is what is it to say? There's limited information available on the long term effects of this on children. That's actually on the leaflet. Yeah. And people are quite happy to put that into their kids' bodies. And 
I spoke to a friend um, just prior to us recording this who um, said, and it's two people in our community who have taken photos to put on Facebook because it's the ultimate accolade of them not even waiting until school does it. They've taken their children to a vaccination centre and had them vaccinated. my children, if you genuinely, genuinely care about your cho- your child's health, you research everything you put into them. And when, if you actually read the leaflet on this concoction, it does say that there is limited data available of the effects of this on children. And, and as you say, I think I read this morning, it was 90, yeah, the chance of your child dying from COVID is 99.98%. The the chances of them surviving COVID are much higher than that. Right, so there you go. So I I read 99.98. I mean, it's almost like, what's the analogy? You know, are you going to go and take your kids to have chemotherapy in case they maybe get cancer? It's just ridiculous. You're you're compromising your child's long-term health and you don't know what you're doing. Ultimately, you do not know what you're giving your child. I mean, I've been in the position as a parent of having to feed a child, having to put a child on high-strength diuretics, having to have a child on a lot of medication for which there are potential side effects. Mm. The downside of that is they would have died with a heart condition, therefore balance the risk. You know, the medicines obviously made sense. COVID, chances are your kid's going to have a cough, a bit of a test, might not even know they've got it, but you're going to put something in their body that isn't child and does have potential. One, proven that there are side effects, go and look at the yellow card, go and look at bars, and ultimately you don't know the long-term effects because there is no longevity data. And they actually say on the leaflet, well, we don't know. There is the plus of giving your child that. I just cannot comprehend. I, I, I just cannot comprehend if somebody could give that to your child. I genuinely can. No, it's a, it's a madness. I think um, it's abusive. Yeah, and it's the the line. You know, it's to protect the vulnerable that gets me <laughs> feel where. I mean, in my family, I've got my gran who's ninety-three, and she's much beloved by us all. We adore her. She's a matriarch and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's 93. You know, she almost certainly Mm -hmm. does not have long on this earth. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't know what, how many more years of quality life she's going to have. And she's very open about that. She always says, uh, when you ask her, how are you, Gran? She says, well, I've got one foot in the grave and the other's on a banana (laughs) skin. And, but, you know, so obviously we dread the day that she leaves us, you know, but it is coming. And the idea that I would give my children, or, or indeed myself, a vaccine which has such a horrendous safety record, as you can see in the yellow cards reports and the VAERS system and the European reporting system, even just looking at the numbers as they are reported, the safety record is horrendous. 
Now, if I get this vaccine and I end up paralysed or blind or I have a stroke or a heart attack and I'm incapacitated, who's going to look after my children? Mm -hmm. you know, who's and, going to compensate my family for the expense that will be incurred for that? Nobody. And why should I put my family at risk like that in order to protect the vulnerable people who we basically know are the elderly who are close to death anyway? And, you know, like my gran, she's 93. I'm not going to sacrifice any of my children's health in order to protect her. That wouldn't be right. She wouldn't want me to do that. No, and never in history have we ever, um, you know, like, treated children, medically injected children to protect the elderly. We've never done it. Well, never, I ever done that, it. I think that looking back, that there has been a bit of an encroachment on that with the uh, flu vaccines. You know, they say, oh, because children are super spreaders of flu and in order to protect people who are vulnerable to flu, you need to get your children vaccinated. And actually, I've always had my girls get the flu vaccine. Um, they had it last year as well. But I'm now starting to think about that. Like, am I getting them vaccinated because I'm worried about them getting flu? Well, mm -hmm. I am a bit more worried about them getting flu than I'm worried about them getting COVID because flu is much worse for children than COVID is. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not quite sure who I am protecting when I do that. And I think there has been a bit of an encroachment on that front. And it's something that I haven't spent a great deal of time thinking about. But really, you should only ever get a medical treatment or a vaccination against anything for your own good. It has to be for your own good. Otherwise, you know, it, it doesn't take much imagination to see where medicine might go if we start treating people for the sake of others. And what's next? Like, somebody needs a kidney, so they're going to force me to give up a kidney. Or Yeah, and, and that's it. And I think it's a risk of the vaccine, giving kids the flu vaccine. I mean, um, my... I I never ever looked at it as, and it's never sort of intimated that this was to protect others. It was to protect them from flu. So that's how I look at it. But I think as well, you know, there's a, a it's strange how medicine has gone because with take the likes of Aaron and, and again the special needs bracket. I mean, when Aaron was severely ill with. Um, cardiomyopathy and the only thing that would have, if the medicine didn't work, the only other opportunity if somebody has cardiomyopathy is a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. And we were categorically told that because Aaron has Down syndrome, a heart transplant would not be made available to him. Why? Because, because uh, Down syndrome, because they're com um, compromised immune system, you know, they, they're more likely to, to, you know, just because they're, they're, it's like the Really, to be brutal, it's the run of the litter. If you've got, um, what they tried to say, if you've got a heart, obviously hearts in demand, they would give it to a child who'd be deemed to have a better prognosis after transplant, and that would not be a down child. Now, you could go down the route of that is absolutely horrendous, which it is, or you could look at it pragmatically and say, you know, that there's a lot of um, reasoning in that, you know, they they do tend to take illnesses worse, they, you know, they, they do age faster, they are more susceptible to cancer, so various things. But that's how brutal medicine is at that point. So all this, like, 1990, you know, it's all for the greater good and all that, you know, I've come up against that 
as in this blanket special needs. And Parkinson's, it's just part of some great experiment. You know, we'll fire it into elderly people because, you know, they're going to die soon anyway. Then we'll try the special needs, see how it goes. Nothing now would surprise me. Absolutely nothing. We must protect our children. You must protect yourself and you must research everything because I really think with this, the gloves are off because this is absolutely heinous. Putin's advocating, the government is meant to protect society. The parents are meant to protect their children. Society is meant to protect the children. And we're advocating putting something in the children they do not need, they most definitely do not need, that can actually potentially harm them. Why are we doing that? I don't know. Now, we were told, apparently, the basis on which they were approved was that the vaccine material, it's not a vaccine, it's gene therapy, but this material that was injected would remain in the shoulder and would not enter the bloodstream. We now know that that is absolute nonsense. It goes right through your body and they have found spike proteins in all parts of the body of vaccinated people. And so what this means is that your cells are making the spike protein, which is a very pathogenic part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it causes clotting, bleeding, all sorts of problems, because this spike protein just creates mayhem everywhere it goes, apparently. And people should look this up. This is why COVID-19 is such, or the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes COVID-19, is such a worrying virus in many ways because of this spike protein. And it really is truly as mad as it sounds that they have chosen that part of the vaccine for that that part of the virus for this so-called vaccine. You're taking it, a big risk, and there seems to be mm -hmm. very little benefit. Mm -hmm. for and I, it's just because I mean these guys already vaccines were designed. Um, Again, whether we can corroborate this or not, but this is what I've read um, and listened to quite a few people, again, eminent scientists and doctors. They were original because people go, oh, we've been about for 20 years. But there was, these were designed to be used in extreme cases. And they said normally in biological warfare, that's what, you know, that's what they were to be used for. They were not to be used as a mass vaccination process in healthy adults and children. They were never designed for that. And one has to wonder why they are going down this route. Yeah. So, and, you know, I, I would just, what I say to everybody is do your own research. Actually, you know what? Look at the people that they're trying to shut down. Listen to these people. Listen to these doctors. And see what you make of it. You know, you. this is the thing, like, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, it doesn't seem to believe that people are capable of making assessments for themselves. And, you know, any time you're suppressing facts and you're, as all through this um, carry on, you're manipulating figures and, you know, anybody that dies of any cause 28 days after a test that they now admit is not fit for purpose, that we've been saying for, for a year, over a year, mm -hmm. that this dodgy test, anybody that dies anything 28 days after, that's a COVID death. But anybody that has a, a reaction after a vaccine, that's a coincidence. You know, you, you, people must look at that and think, well, wait a minute. Um, 
it's just, you know, Mike Eden, Dr. John Lee, Carol Sikora, listen to these people, listen to what they're saying, listen to an epidemiologist, listen to a virologist, don't listen to, let's say, Dr. Hillary, Bill and Holly, Lede, you know, Piers Morgan, you know, do not, do not listen to these people, actually go and do your own research, because this is your life, it's your life, it's your children, it's their freedom, and this isn't going to go back to normal just because everybody's double jabbed. There's not a hope this is going to. Go, this will only go back to normal when people say en masse, no. That is the only time this is going to go back to normal, and that time was running out fast. You know, I think if people, if there's a huge uptake of vaccinating children, the war is lost because people are so far gone. I, I genuinely believe that. Yeah. You know, if, if you're putting this into your innocent child's body, you're too far gone. You, you are too far gone. And it's just incredible. I mean, I, I'm probably like you, Christine. I've never, I'm, you know, just a normal person, a mom, you know, at the job. I, I've never been, you know, going on protests or anything like that. But this, this is... Just, I never thought this would happen in my lifetime. I, I genuinely, I keep thinking I'm going to wake up. It, 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 it's like through the looking glass. It's like the emperor's new clothes. It, it's everything. It's, it's madness. And you just stand back. It is utter madness what we are doing. Utter madness. Masks, mm-hmm. sanitising, shopping trolleys. You know, wearing the mask, having a meal, but I put on to go to the toilet. You know, really, uh, why? Oh, but it's the rules. 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 Mm-hmm. You know. Um, my dad used to have a great thing that be the lemming that turned back. And you know what? I don't know. But how many children are going to die? There, there, will be ch- there will be children, many children, depending on obviously how many people who vaccin- are, are vaccinated, will die from this completely unnecessarily. And that is utterly horrific. Well, I mean, we've already had a lot of people dying unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And- it's things like um, you know that you know that you're in the right when things happen. Like the government makes an announcement, oh, we're going to give you all third jabs now. It's like, sorry, where in the um, trials such as they are, did you try three jabs? Like and, with, and mixing match, mix, yeah, mixing and matching. Yeah, they had your final. They went and looked at the trial data for the kids from the States, for example, and they saw that most people, most of the kids who got myocarditis developed it after they'd had their second vaccine. So the solution to that is, well, we'll just give them one vaccine then. Now, just like, okay, so they got myocarditis after their second vaccine. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the first vaccine did a certain amount of damage. And then they gave them the second vaccine, and that was just too much. And whatever, you know, the damage that had been done from the first vaccine was compounded by the damage done by the second. So, you know, that was when their their cardiomyocarditis symptoms started. And these children were very gravely ill, and we know that we, well, we don't know what the long-term effects of that would be. So the solution is, well, we'll just give them one vaccine. So we'll just do sort of less damage, but quite a lot of damage and um, who knows what's going to happen to these kids a year down the line 
Who knows what's going to happen? The damage is obviously being done to their heart from the first vaccine, which is why the second vaccine triggered a reaction. So what's, like a year down the line, are they going to be running around the football pitch and have a massive heart event? Because of this, we just don't. We don't know. We don't know, and it's now what the boosters they're saying that the the to the pharmaceutical companies the the, the vaccination um, business for want of a better word is going to be worth over two hundred billion dollars. Two hundred billion dollars over years to come for this. So, it goes and that's, I mean, that's the other thing, like, we know that, I can't remember which way around it is, so it's AstraZeneca, if you're more likely to suffer an adverse event in your first vaccine, I think, and less on the second, and so I just the other way around, or might maybe it's mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the point is, again, there's a cumulative effect happening there, clearly. So what's going to happen to third vaccines? Well, we, we really, we don't know anything about that because they didn't do any sort of trial on that whatsoever. It's just, it's like, it's just objectively insane that the government will just come out and say something like that and everyone goes, yeah, all right, then I'll have my third vaccine. Well, I mean... <laughs> And, and these, and again, you've given these massive pharmaceutical companies, they've got a free pass because they cannot be sued. Um, you know, Pfizer is the pharmaceutical company that's been subject to the most fines um, ever. Yeah, and one thing that, this, this is a personal thought of mine, so, so this is me personally, this is something that I think is really important for anybody thinking about getting this, and you would have to make your own decisions. But there's many, many people that have um, been autopsied or post-mortem in Scotland um, so they've died with something other than cancer so they're getting a post-mortem and they, what they find is when they've opened this body up and this goes through the ages they have tumours and the tumours they're, they're not dor- they're dormant but they're still you know they're still live tumours they're not dead they're dormant so they've not metastasized and they're not causing any problems because the body has this system in place it keeps things in check. I mean, obviously things happen and cancers develop, but there's so many people that are living with, you know, cancers that we don't know anything about and are not giving them any problems. In my opinion, when you start treating something in your body that is mucking about with your immune system and all that kind of thing, all that, that finely tuned system that we, that our bodies have, our body is an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. What is it doing all these things down the line? I think that is there. You know, I think you know. They say that most people are sitting with dormant tumours that oh, yeah. aren't giving them any bothers. You know, people need to think about things like that. You are mucking about, as you say, you're not getting a little dodge of COVID, and then your body's going to trigger its own immune system. That's what what happens. What's happening with this, and people don't realise that. And you're going to vaccination centres, pop-up vaccination centres at Primark and amusement parks, and somebody that maybe yesterday was flipping a burger at McDonald's could be injecting you. Half of these places don't even have clinicians on site. So even if something happens when you have it, you don't, you know, it, it just <laughs> first do no harm, you know. It, it, it's like, I mean, who's ever heard of going for an injection at Primark? I'm you know, not actually too happy about that, I have to say. It's, it's like you think about all this about, for example, Botox parties and how the government are clamping down on this, that people shouldn't be injecting. So, you know, they're clamping down on this um, 
but then on the other hand, they'll have like a vaccination centre for parks. It was shut down. So, for instance, you technically could go and get your jab and then be on a roller coaster. And, you know, it's just like, again, that makes it almost seem quite benign. You know, it's like, oh, I'll go and have my jab and a coffee. And, you know, it, it, it's just, as you say, it, it makes it seem. You know, if you go into to do a clinical thing and you go into a hospital, it gives a certain gravitas, it gives a certain, you know, there is an element of risk as soon as you go into a hospital. Whereas if you're just wondering about Trimark and you're, you know, buying your pound knickers, you're like, oh, come on, maybe just don't have my booster. It trivialises it. It mm-hmm. makes it seem benign and, you know, very just, it's just like an accessory. It's, it's you know, like years ago, you know, women didn't, tattoos now it's like very good I'll just go and get another it, it's the same kind of thing it, it makes it just oh, and people think less about it and they also give you the leaflet I mean obviously I'm not jab, but I take it that they give you the leaflet at the end about all the side effects once yeah. you've actually had your injection so there you go and it's scary mm-hmm. a genetic therapy it's like a gene it's a gene therapy that's what the developers of this technology call it it's gene therapy and you shouldn't be getting gene therapy sort of in between trying on you know skirts and buying slippers and primark that's not it's not appropriate and i'm actually really amazed that the medical profession is happy about it because to me um it's taking away a lot of their the sort of sanctity of their role or their position. It is, because they're only saying that, you know, the people that are vaccinating these pop-up centres, it's not doctors and nurses, you know, it's, I think they get some training, but on the whole, and this, this will be, like, skill set will be diluted, if you like, because that's not great terminology. The longer this goes on, the more pop-up things they have, the more the speed they want to out. It will literally be anybody could be shoving that in your arm. It, you know, it's just like in Scotland, I mean, for example, the drug naloxone that they give to um, addicts when they overdose, you can fire this into them and it stops you know, it stops the overdose and then you have to keep doing it until we get to a, a, a hospital. But they actually want to post these kits out to the homes of, of addicts so that if the overdose, if somebody's there. Again, you know, this is a medical thing and, and it's just like we're sort of reducing it to anybody could fire anything into anybody. But that's almost what it's like. Um, and when you do that, people are less likely to look at side effects because they think, oh, well, it must be all right because you know, we can just wander into Primark and get a job. It must be all right. You know, it's quite terrifying. It actually is quite terrifying. You try and step back from the looking good on Facebook and, the, you know, I'm one of those kids that wears masks on the outside and, you know, sanitise my trolley. I'm such a good person. If you actually go over yourself and look at what is happening... I think a lot of people are too scared now that they actually think I bought into this so much I can't I can't cope one that I'm wrong and two what this entails so it's easier to something like what's it cognitive dissonance it's almost quite easy just to keep going even though part of you saying oh, this isn't right this isn't right and I think that's where a lot of the resentment comes with the human anti-vaxxer it's like people thought I do think a majority of, or a fair proportion of people, when they took their job, they thought they were, life was going to go back to normal. They would get to go on their holidays, 
they've not got any more freedoms apart from maybe now quarantine things coming back from certain countries than the unvaxxed. And I think at some level they realise they've taken a risk and at the moment they're not really seeing the benefits. And I think that's what's causing a lot of the sort of resentment itself. That, well, you're selfish. You know, why should you have the same privileges as me when you've not taken this risk? Because I'll actually not admit that I've taken a risk. And I think there's a huge yeah. proportion of that as well. I, I genuinely do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, all we can do is, is keep speaking out. But I really think we are standing at the edge of the cliff here because if this rolls out to children, I think there is, the government will be able to do anything because people have lost all reason thought. Mm. Um, and if people shout out enough, you know, they, they do stop and think. If, if there's enough protests, if there's enough emails to MPs, if, there's, if, you know, if they think, mm, you know, I'm not going to be in the IT tower much longer, I won't be voted back in. If there's enough dissent, they will stop it. It has stopped things in the past, but only if there's sufficient. And at the moment, there's not. No, I think we're nowhere near. Mm-hmm. They have played an absolutely brilliant you know, psychological warfare. When people are frightened and beaten down, there's two elements. There's fear and there's also this sort of trying to be superior. It's both elements. And, you know, people are scared so they'll comply and people want to be appear to be superior and a good person and that's all ego-driven. Therefore, they'll comply. Um, and, you know, it's work. It's working. It's, it's it's what they, they say about, you know, the Anne Frank analogy, the people that, um, you know, hid her were breaking the law, the people that took her and killed her were obeying the law. Yeah. And I think this is where we're at. It's, um, yeah, definitely there's a whole lot of people who think that they're doing the right thing. And, and they're, you know, they, really what's happened to you is the whole population has become radicalised. These are quite radical ideas, you know, that, you know, would coerce people to get vaccinated and, you know, we'll just give an experimental product to kids. All these things, these are very, very radical ideas. And they're being treated now as if they're mainstream ideas. And yet, if you'd said this, like, two years ago, people would have looked at you like you'd two heads. It's unlawful to put humans in a medical experiment, and yet here we are. I know that some people go to oh, Nuremberg and all this kind of, this is Nuremberg stuff. This, this absolutely is. You know, this is yeah. child. It's people that are, people are not, um, they're not obtaining informed consent. People don't know what they're taking. Um, it is, and, and you know, there's too many people who don't know, even know what Nuremberg was, and it's like I, I don't know. I, I, you, you just think, you just really think, is it just me? Is it me? Have I got it all wrong? And then I stand back and I just think, no, no. And if you even look at Dr. Neil Ferguson from stage, um, not from stage, from Imperial College, and he actually said about lockdown, we didn't think we'd get away with it. How chilling is that? And everything that man has predicted has been wrong. What is a wee bit wrong? It's been out of the water wrong. And yet, still following that advice. But we didn't think we'd get away with it. And they did. And they are. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure yeah. that the pharmaceutical companies never thought they'd get away with this either, but here we are. I know, here we are. And, you know, pharmaceutical companies, if people should read up on some of the stuff about what pharmaceutical companies do, and, um, you know, there's a famous... Did you, have you ever heard the story about Eli Lilly and Prozac? What they did with that? No. Right, but I'll briefly tell you this, and this is very, very powerful. But Eli Lilly had the, the patent on Pro, they, Prozac, they did the patent on Prozac, and they, um, but apparently with these drugs, the patent only lasts for seven years and then other companies can, can make their own version of it. But if you tweak it, um, you can then extend your patent. So also around about the same time, the um, DSM, which is the book, which is the, the book of psychiatric disorders or mental disorders, which used to be 154, it's now burgeoning, I think it's 400 odd, these various new disorders. And one was, I think it's called premenstrual, no, premenstrual syndrome. So basically it was PMT, but they renamed it and it was a, a severe, severe PMT. Your prevention syndrome. So Eli Lilly brought out, I'm sure it was Eli Lilly, but this drug saying it's called Seraphim and it's both pink and purple and lovely and it was um, aimed at women who were going through this prevention syndrome, which had just sort of been created. And um, so women were getting put on this and it was Prozac. It was just pure Prozac. And but because they'd renamed it and retweaked it, they got to extend their patent. Now they, and shouldn't have never find a lot of money for that. But people need to go and research what these drug companies do. What the find look at the Pfizer cases, look at Eli Lilly, look at them all, look at the different things that they've been find, look at you know, even thalidomide and everything. Look at that. And don't you think that these companies have got your best interest at heart? They do not. They absolutely do not. It's money, money, money. And it's not about health. So if you, I think if people look at you know authors like uh, Doctor uh, James Davis, who I think wrote about that in the book Cracked, that the the Seraphim thing, read things like that. Go and educate yourself. And when you see what drug companies have done in the past, and how they've tried to lie about the you know, tests and controls and placebos and all that kind of thing, you then start thinking, you know. You just start thinking about what, what you take, why you take it, and who's actually benefiting from it. Yeah. But there's so many stories out there. So, well, not stories, facts. And when you start looking at that, you start thinking, mm, if there's one thing that the government and Big Pharma together do not have in your business, even if you substitute Big Pharma now for the tobacco companies of years ago, that was like, oh, for your throat, fake smoke, capstan, as it's the same thing, you know, and the government is still complicit because it was taxed. And the guy, the Dr. Doll, who kept trying to say, this, this is killing people, this is killing people, shot down the flames. You know, read about that kind of thing and then put it into this context. Educate yourself yeah. from the right format. But, you know, we, we could go on for days talking about our community. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to say, but then again, the whole point here is that we're just basically saying the same thing over and over again. You know, that know. there's these lies that are being told to us all the time and people, you know, people don't like to hear that and people get angry when we tell them that they're being lied to. Nobody likes to think they're being lied to, but yeah. the point is that we are and it's becoming more and more obvious and I believe the vast majority of people must be able to, they must have a little 
sort of maternal or paternal parental instinct kicking in here. This isn't right. She was so. I had when we had uh, COVID in this house. Like I say, one of our family members got very ill. Indeed, but for my children, they were barely ill. One of them was barely ill for a day, and the other one was barely ill for like two days. And um, as I've said, the spike protein on this virus is a real concern to me. And I don't know what long-term damage might have been done to my children from being infected with this virus. But, it, you know, it's happened. They got better. And as far as I'm aware, as far as I could believe, they've made a full recovery and they will continue to be healthy and well. That's the best information I have at the moment. And that, Why that, would I, I mean, get them vaccinated against that? I, just, I mean, I've seen them much. My children are very, very healthy, hardly ever ill. But I've seen them worse with other things. I mean, my daughter, my daughter had a vomiting bug a few years ago. And she basically lay on the sofa in the same position for two days. She didn't even go to bed. She felt so ill. I mean, COVID was nothing compared to that. I just simply will not give them a product that I know very little about and, and has no long-term data in order to protect them from that virus. And they can't, the thing is, now they're immune. We know that natural immunity yeah. lasts a lifetime. You know, they're, they're fine. They're not going to be transmitting it to anyone. They're not going to catch it from anyone because they've had the virus and their immune systems work. So I'm not... I mean, I'm I'm not giving them something that's going to put them at risk of heart problems or clotting or blindness or any of these other and the other the other points the other serious concern, which is a you know survival of mankind concern, is fertility. Now mm-hmm. we know we know that the spike protein is concentrating in the ovaries and the testes. Of people, now, this is deeply, deeply concerning. We've seen loads of women developing periods who've been men, um, you know, well past menopause. We've seen young girls starting to have periods after they've even been around vaccinated people. These are all confirmed cases, and it indicates a serious danger to people's fertility. And everyone's like, you know, la la la, fingers in the ears, hands over the eyes. It's like this could actually be. The other, I mean, the other thing that, that's um, proven as well is that um, in some vaccinated women, they're showing an immune response against the syncytial proteins, which... Um, yeah, yeah, which is your... Um, yeah. Which is how pregnancies mm-hmm. start. Yeah, yeah you it's, it's your eggs, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's like that could be a pretty major problem under any normal circumstances even as a precautionary principle I mean like how how big a risk would that need to be in order for it to scare the shit out of you I mean a tiny risk even if there's like a one in a thousand risk that women who've been vaccinated or even a small number of women who've been vaccinated have been made infertile by these vaccines these are all these are legitimate questions and there's good evidence to show that they are things that we should be concerned about and yet we just continue on blindly it seems like you know my my eldest son he was at university and got covid and he said you know and lost had a headache no sense of taste you know it 
you know, just didn't bother him that much. Three weeks later, he glanced with fever. You know, that was horrendous. And it, it, and again, it's, um, you don't need it. And the thing is, they're pregnant women, this sort of campaign to get pregnant. When I'm pregnant with my children, I was told, even I was wary of even taking aspirin. You know, my doctor was like, no, really, you don't really want to get into the pharmaceuticals, you don't have to. And I was carrying on. Now we're going to just advocate that we fire in this thing that's <laughs> like not even tested, but we've jumped and like roll up, roll up. You know, it's. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, having an excretion headache, being on holiday in Lanzarote when I was pregnant, first pregnancy, so super concerned about everything. I wouldn't even take a paracetamol, which was ridiculous. Of course, I could have taken it, but I was so over not taking this. And yet now there's women who are pregnant just going and getting this. And, and I think if I was pregnant, I'd well, I wouldn't get, you know, I'd be getting rough, but I definitely wouldn't. I, I absolutely would not. Um, but again, it's this fear campaign. It's like, oh, there's, what if it was twice as many, um, what if it, the number of pregnant women in hospital with COVID has doubled? Well, is that one to two in the whole of the UK? When you start talking about percentages and doubling, you know that the figures are minute because that's where they have to go to. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, again, it's like tests, you know, these numbers of cases, positive cases, but it should be how many, how many people we tested? You know, if you don't have many people, the more people we test, the more positive you're going to get, especially with, with dodgy testing as well. I mean, the stickers just, they've actually come out. You remember the, in the November when they came and said that Boris was standing going, you know, by the end of six weeks, it was going to be 100,000 a day or something. And then but actually, we're going to run out of people before six weeks, if that's the case. And they had to admit, I think the next day they were working on long figures, but they still locked people down. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, oh, that's all right then. You know, and they actually waited for that announcement before Strictly Come Dancing finished or something. They, they yeah, actually yeah, you're reminding me announce- of all these weird yeah. stories that I've forgotten about. Yeah. You know, a government announcement about public health is slotted in to fit in with Strictly Come Dancing. Are you for real? Could you imagine a war Churchill floating in a war speech round, you know, like dinner with mother or what it was called? You know, it's utterly ridiculous. And people think that's acceptable. Um, it's just the sort of ultimate infantilization of the population, isn't it? Where yeah. it's like, oh, we'll just, just the okay. little people happy with a Strictly Come Dancing. I've never watched a Strictly, strictly Come Dancing. is always something that's bumped me because it is like a mania. It's like a mate. Mm-hmm. People go on and on and on about Strictly Come Dancing. I'm just like, I do not care. I'm alone in this. It's, it's, it's like Love Island. It, it's like X Factor. It's like whatever they put out there that people, that, you know, and then because people go away, I'm talking then because it's flooded, people then feel they've got to talk about it. They've got to talk. We are being manipulated, psychologically manipulated 24 it's like now on your iPhone, it used to be, you know, if you put anything about COVID, it was like, you know, you've got the fact that this post contains information about COVID. Well, now it's been, it's now this post contains information about climate change. And you're like, when are people going to get it? That, you know, it, for, for all the top, you go on holiday after your double job, there'll be climate change. So you've had your job, but you can't go on holiday because it's climate change. It, it's never going to stop, folks. It will never stop until we say no on that. Um, and it's, it's so transparent as well. That's the thing, actually, it's, it's cheap psychology tricks. It's like my eldest son phoned me uh, from Waverly Station in Edinburgh 
I, you know, during one of the lockdowns, and it was when we had all the things. Um, you know, my uncle, my granny died of it. My uncle died of it. You know, the masks on the posters and everything. This, if you're walking about this deserted station because nobody's going anywhere with your mask, and all these posters saying you're going to die, you've given it to this. It's a, it's a, it's a psychological warfare. And one of the interesting ones, Christy, I don't know if you have seen it as well. Remember the the little sort of Facebook picture that I've reached about. Um, if one person wears a mask and one doesn't, and then if two people wear a mask and all this, and it was if two people wear a mask and nobody's going to get COVID. And John Swinney came out and he was advocating this was a, a great, you know, poster. And they had to admit that wasn't true. That was absolute lies. But how many times was that shared on Facebook? This two people wearing a mask, their test was, you know, they're, they're not going to get anything. Again, proven to be lies, but fine. You know, that's been going back for months. People. You know, if people said masks don't work, they were getting shot down the flames. Masks do not work. Um, and, you know, getting Facebook centres or accounts and what is it, deactivated. And what masks don't work. If you want to wear a mask and stand out, but feel free, but they don't work. And they're harmful as well. You, you'll do more harm to yourself wearing a mask mm-hmm. than you will if you don't have it. You know, if we were meant to have um, pieces of... If our breathing was meant to be restricted, we would have been born with a flap of skin over our mouths because that's how our bodies, you know, our bodies are designed to protect us. So the whole point of us not have, have been able to breathe in unencumbered is what we're meant to do. So again, well, more there's a reason things. people just know this stuff. They do. Mm-hmm. When you have something covering your nose, your in or your your breathing, your instinct is to take it off. It's not that it's doing you like a huge amount of damage to cover your mouth and nose for a couple of minutes, but it's unpleasant because we're supposed we're expelling that stuff for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I, I nearly died from an asthma attack when I was twenty six. I was really late to hospital. I was in hospital for like nearly two weeks, and so I know what it's like not to be able to breathe. I know what it's like to have respiratory illnesses. So you know, I statistically am. So if I get COVID, you know, might not fare too well, but I take great care of my health. I take vitamin D, zinc, everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I've actually been there on a respiratory ward and everything. And one of the things that um, I was told, I was told, you know, you're going to be on corticosteroids, like prednisolone for, for life, which causes all sorts of damage. And I was like, no, no, no. And I researched buccal breathing, the, the buccal program, which is all about deep breath and all that. And I've never been hospitalised. Well, twice I had a flu jab and I was hospitalised, but it was just the severe temperature and everything, not like breathing. That deep breath, fresh air, that is what your body is designed to do. Covering up your your airways and breathing in the same muck, not to mention fibres, that's going to cause long-term damage. So if you are going to get people in hospital with respiratory problems, not from COVID, from mask wearing. And that's just common sense. You don't need to suppress any sort of studies like the, the Danish one or whatever, or Dr. Dinkins Danish. You don't need to suppress it. Common sense tells you that. You know, and I think having people... Again, in Scotland, we've got the lunacy. We're still wearing masks. Well, I don't wear a mask, but any people are still wearing masks. Down in England, you can wander about and you don't have to. Have we got a different COVID up here or, or what? We yeah. do have different COVID up here. Yeah, we've got we've got tartan COVID, so it's still yeah, it's, it's one of the tartan variant. <laughs> We're laughing, but it's not funny. It's yeah, I mean, Hunza Yusuf came out. Was it yesterday or the day before? And he was just like, he basically said, "These masks don't do anything, but it's just polite because there's people who are scared out there. 
And it's like, oh, why are they scared, Hunza? They're scared because you've terrified the crap out of them. And people wearing masks continually is not going to help lessen people's fear. So because they have done a psyop on us and made everyone really, really scared of everybody else, we now have to wear masks, what, forever? Or, you know, how how long? What's the... What's the timing on this? It's, no. well, I know the schools are six weeks, but I read something, which won't be, it'll, it'll be good. I read something that said the SNP wants to keep it enforced till next year. Well, yeah, they said we'll probably keep mm-hmm. them. Hemza Yusuf said, I think, we're going to keep them till 2022. Why? Well, you know what? If people, I, I think anybody now that's still wearing the mask, Really, you, you need to have a long, hard look at yourself. That is my opinion. You know, if you go to, you know, down England, you don't have to be there. You know, you go to numerous other countries, you have to, in fact, the pointless anyway. And you can exempt yourself. You can exempt yourself from, for any reason. If you'd feel, you know, um, I think most people that wear them will feel claustrophobic and cause anxiety. So, and if you're exempt, if you if you think if you deem yourself to be exempt, you are exempt. Yeah. And if anybody challenges you, you cite the Disability Act of I think it's October 2010. And you don't have to wear a lanyard, you don't have to flash up a card. You are exempt. And if anybody challenges you, they are ditching that law, and you just have to say that, and they will back off. And more, and the more people that, that do that and take the mask off more people will take theirs off as well because people feel intimidated. I mean, I go around the supermarket, I care, honestly, I care not a job. I go around and I eat grapes off my trolley and I, I look at the looks of horror, I'll truly tell by people's eyes. I don't do it to be trying to look at me. I, I just try to say, this is ludicrous. You know, you, you're actually compromising your health wearing that. It's wrong and you're buying into it and you're also perpetuating it. Um, so if you're still wearing a mask now, you know what, you're, you're, it's nonsense, absolute nonsense. I mean, I was watching a, um, something that queued to the chemist with their mask on. This is before masks were mandatory, which is not what, just means the government like you to do it. Um, and he was busy fiddling it while he was vaping. He was waiting to go in and get his methadone, but he had his mask on, so it's clear. And you can actually see the vape filtering through the mask. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just like, they stop nothing. They even stay on the box. These blue surgical masks, not designed, will not protect you from coronavirus. And if you buy one at a Primark, and if your pals made one, it's not going to protect you either. It's a silicate cloth tied over your face. It is utterly pointless. Um, and why people do it is just, uh, I don't know. Because deep down, we know it doesn't make any difference. It's just, is it fear? Is it virtue signalling? Is it a combination? Is it compliance? Do people actually quite enjoy them now? I have no idea. But um, it's the massive part of the problem. Oh, yeah, a massive part. I, I keep mask. saying this. If people took their masks off, the thing would be over. Mm-hmm. It would. Because it, it would be a sign of, you know, we've had this take the mask. Of it's horrible. I I feel for all the imagine all the babies that have been born over this period, this fifteen months. What faces are they actually seeing when they go out and about? All they're seeing is this masked up world. People that you know, how do they learn to speak? You know, people are mumbling behind these masks. You, you don't know what they're saying. You know, we communicate with our faces. We've stopped this communication. Mask. It, it's so much more. The masks 
destroy so much. They, they, they destroy so much. They destroy communication. They, they destroy everything. The masks. Are, I think when they got away with masks, that was that was a real win for, for the, the the narrative, if you like, because mm-hmm. when people masked up so quickly, so fervently. Even though three weeks prior to being, they were told, well, you don't have to wear them, they're useless. Yeah. And then, oh, well, actually, you know what, you better, they might help you. So, so, you know, and then they're mandatory, but actually they're not, because anybody could say they're exempt and there's not a thing well, anybody could do about it. The whole, the, that, the law is just absolutely absurd on that front. Where, um, yeah, they're, you're exempt if you say you're exempt, so just say that you're exempt. Yeah, I suppose you're people ex- didn't do that because they did believe that they worked. But, I mean, how many times do they need to be told now they don't work? And, don't work. you know, the spy scientists who recommended that they their use was mandated have said we introduced them as a behaviour control tool, not an mm-hmm. infection control tool. I know, they actually should admit that, you know. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's absolute lunacy. They don't work. Say you're exempt, and people go, Oh, but you shouldn't just say you're exempt. And people that wear the sunflower lanyard, how dare you? Why not? You know, they do no good. They're actually bad for you. You're part of the problem wearing it. Just say you're exempt. Nobody can challenge you. Nobody can do anything about it. And again, that's the thing. If the mask actually did make a difference, that exemption, the disability, it would trump, they would be able to do something to trump that disability act. And we obviously can't because they cannot prove that the masks um, are making a difference because they can't, because they aren't. And they know that they can't, to try and trump the Disability Act, they have to have something hard and fast because that's the kind of thing you can't really do and walk about with. And that's why they won't. And that's why you can see their exempt. So if you want proof the masks don't work, it's because there's, there's an exemption in force under the Disability Act because they, they can't, they cannot, they can't, you know what I mean? Um, they can't diminish that act over something that they know doesn't work. In order for them to get rid of exemptions, they would need to say, okay, well, you can harass disabled people. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, yeah, because these things definitely do work and they cannot show that these things definitely do work because they don't. And if you test that's been done in it, it actually shows they don't work. Yeah. It's quite so, simple. It's very straightforward. It's quite simple. And, that, and that's the thing. Everything we do, you can actually blow out the water. Because everything we do, it's actually quite stupid. It makes no sense. And it's debunked regularly. But they manage to shut it down. But everything they say, their figures have been just totally debunked. Their modelling's been debunked. Their testing's been debunked. It doesn't work. But they're, you know, their PCR is not designed for that. They're, they're running the test that cycles way above what it's meant to be. They've admitted the CDC have come out and said we should not be using PCR testing, which is what they've built this pandemic on, these cases. Everything is actually debunked. And we're at the stage we're going to put this in kids. Yes, it's how how can this happen? It's still it's debunked, and we're still doing it. Still doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, it's easy to despair. Do you have any hopeful? Do you have any words of hope for us, Lorraine? <laughs> you know what? I am a huge believer that the truth will out, and 
good always wins. I, I genuinely believe that. I was brought up like that. I do think there is a, a force, if you like, or that is bigger than all of us. And um, and I, I, I do think I, I think the tide is turning. I, I think when people who have been double jabbed um, cannot still cannot get on things like holidays and that, which seems to be priority, that will kick in. And really, really sadly, and, and I hate to say this, if this vaccination of children is successful and they get enough people taken up, there will be death. And, they, and then when children start dying, you're not going to suppress that. You, know, you can only suppress it so long that's when people maybe will start to, to wake up a bit and it's horrendous that that it's like will that be the is that what it takes to be the catalyst of change that will actually named or killed children i mean children have died elsewhere yeah yeah we have but you know but we, we've got really and that's in our country but we've this is a stand well like children have died but obviously not sufficient for people to be that concerned about it they're still prepared to go and inject their own so does what what will be the catalyst every time something happens you think when things have been proven to be wrong like the, the mass the pcr test and you know that this 28 days i mean and just to put that in I have a friend who's a lawyer, and this is really tragic. His son was killed. He was decapitated in a motorbike accident. And the cause of death on the death certificate was, guess what it was? COVID. 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 This, this solicitor was down in London, extremely affluent, extremely well-connected. He absolutely shouted from the rooftops, and they changed the certificate. So here's a guy that had a COVID test, for whatever reason, to a, a test that we know has a high chance of being inaccurate and we tested positive within 28 days he was decapitated on a motorbike and he was classed as a COVID day so we know all these things happen but that's the thing what, what is the people know this, what is the catalyst that will, will make change I think it will sadly be a surge of death in children and I think if, if that doesn't make the change I don't know what will and also the other side of it I do believe, I all, I always believe good will prevail. I, I do, and you have to, because I think if you don't, we're going in a very, very, very dark place. Um, and I, I do think more people are starting to, 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 to think. And there's a great thing that Mike Eden says, because you're all shut down on social media and, and always carry on, just tell one person. And it's surprising how, if you actually speak to people, actually, I, I think this is wrong, I don't believe in this. And then a lot of people go, well, actually, I agree with you. You know, and if they then go and say to one person, and that's it, you know, but what will make the change on mass? I think it will be catastrophe with the children's health, which I think is horrendous. But I think that mm. if that doesn't change it, I don't know what will, to be honest. What about you? What, what do you think? Um, I think. I've been thinking for a long time it's all going to collapse. I think that when it does, it will happen quickly. And I do feel like there's a bit of a change in the air, but I also think I'm I'm not a very good person to ask for optimism because I don't really have very much. And yeah. I, I, I know for you, because I think as well, I always just thought with this, they're trying to kick the proverbial can of the inquiry further down the road. 
and perpetrate it as long as possible, you know, like cases and this and that. But see when it came to vac- vaccinating children, this is this is getting really, really sinister. This isn't just about trying to avoid the inevitable inquiry. This isn't trying to stop petrol, and this isn't even about money, which a lot I mean, it is about money. You know, obviously all the, the these companies that have, you know, I went to Mallorca and it cost me eight hundred pounds in testing to get them back um, four of us. You know, all these yeah. these private PCR companies, it is money, it's huge money. And I, I thought that was why it was being perpetuated. So avoiding the, the culpability that should be coming and to keep the money side of it going, contracts and such, like, there's huge money in this. When it comes to vaccinating children, when the government knows how lethal this can be, when the JVCI actually came out and said there is no need to vaccinate children, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, then complete U-turn, um, you have to think there's something far, far wrong with this. So, yeah, it, it, it's easy to, you know, I, I have really dark days. And I just think, I, I don't know where this is all going to end. I, I cannot believe we're at this stage now. You know, when we all sat on the city, I remember sitting the glass of wine at the first lockdown, three weeks to flatten the curve. And even I thought this about a couple of months. I never envisaged, even with all my hard bit and cynicism, never envisaged we would be where we are now. Never. Never, ever, ever did I think we would be at the place we are now. I still, I do still think um, good will prevail. And I do think that it's always the same, you know, that there's a huge silent majority. There's a, a vociferous minority and there's a huge, huge silent majority who just won't say too much. And you just have to hope that that's what tips the balance. And silent majority kind of say, you know what, enough. Enough. We've had enough. And vaccinating kids is here. It stops. We've done everything you've asked of us. You've moved the goalposts. This virus is here to stay. To the vast majority, it is completely benign. Um, you know, if people are frightened of it, stay home. That's up to you. We have to get back to normal. Our, our kids are not going to have a future. They really are not going to have a future. I think in many so. ways, our children's future is already... Oh, <laughs> because I can't see a future. Like, this is one of the things that's been quite devastating, I suppose. And I don't really think that people who don't see what we see, I don't think they really get this. But I have completely lost all sense of what my children's future looks like. I feel like we, there is no future. I, I don't even know. I was walk, I was out for a walk with my older daughter today and we were talking about winter time and I was thinking about Christmas and I thought, I can't even imagine what Christmas is going to be like this year. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be allowed to gather in families or mm-hmm. are we going to not? I mean, last year we did, we broke all the rules and had the normal-ish Christmas, but um, we went away for days and days and days Um but I can't, I can't imagine anything. I don't know what, like, what schools, like, secondary school is going to be like for them. I don't know if they're going to be able to go to university. I just don't know. Yeah. Everything feels like it's been taken from us, and I can't yeah. even really remember what it was like to visualise a future for my children. And I'm yeah. so heartbroken for them that we are living in a society which is, to any extent, tolerating the idea of vaccinating them. You know, not vaccinated, giving them this medical treatment that's so unnecessary for them. Like, I actually can't believe that that is the country that 
I've brought them into. Everything has been taken. So I feel, and I really mean everything, and I'm not really maybe talking about material things yet, but everything seems to be gone to me. And I don't understand how other people can be so complacent about it. You know what I think it is? I think that, you know, my dad had this and he used to say the common herd, you know, and, uh, you know, it gave a bit sort of disrespectful, but I do think, like, the common herd, if you like, they feel they're desperate to get back to normal. And they feel that, you know, there's no way the government would do anything bad. It's a sort of deluded ignorance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, And they, I generally think they think, well, this this will get things back to normal. You know, that vaccine can't be bad for our kids because there's no way they they would be allowed to do that. They just wouldn't be allowed to do that. Do that. There's no way they would do that. So we give our kids this vaccine. Our kids are going to get their proms. They can go to uni. They can go to Magaluf for a fortnight. They can can go down the pub. Everyone's going to get back to normal. Everyone's going to get back to normal. And that almost is like a safety bubble as well. You know, you're like, I, I'm doing this to get back to, I'm doing this for my kids, you know, for their future. What you're doing is you're preventing your kids having any kind of future. And you can so easily stop it. It can so easily be stopped. But people are, now this sounds really, really horrible. People, too many people are on the whole quite stupid. And I don't mean that, they, don't, they just don't care. We have been primed for this for years. We've been dumbed down. Absolutely dumbed down. When you get people sitting watching like the Big Brother, Love Island, Sex and Beach, whatever shit comes down to it, whatever crap, you're you're being dumbed down. Everything is dumbed down. And also your autonomy is gone. You look to the government for everything. We're conditioned now, the state provides everything. You know, Scotland it's free this, free that, you know, ultimately our paying for it, but it's, it's mm-hmm. like manna from heaven. So we're we're dumbed down. We truly believe in the state, and that's why the countries that are not buying into this, your Hungary, your Poland, all this kind of, it's Eastern European countries who aren't buying into so many agendas, um, because they, they, they know what it's like not to have freedom, and they are not prepared to give it up. Whereas we are, we've never known anything other than freedom, and we don't appreciate it. And we cannot understand. We just think it's going to come back to us. Uh, you know, the government will give us it back. They don't appreciate that every law that was there to stop things like this happening has been repealed and crushed and everything like that yeah. because they're quite happy sitting watching Coronation Street, a pizza, a bowl of Pringles, this this society we've got that everything is immediate, gratification, you don't really have to work for anything, you sit on your iPad, was completely dumbed down and that's how this has happened and that's not really comforting in any way but we just have to hope there's enough of us that keep shouting but there's two things that make people change pain and pleasure and at the moment people in a perverse way get some kind of pleasure out of this some perverse sort of pleasure it's only when the real real pain comes that change will come and whether that's too late you know but that's the only two things that motivate change, pain and pleasure. And that's where we're at. Mm. That's interesting. Somebody said that to me. I was at a meeting last night and somebody said that very thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and of course, yeah. what's also happening here is that, I mean, there's. I saw, a, see, I actually shared it on my Facebook, but I can't remember it now. I can't remember the exact words. It's basically saying nothing gives a human mind more pleasure than feeling superior by putting down Mm -hmm. others. And that's what, 
has been happening here for months and months and months. People have been like, oh, look at them, they're not following the rules, and I'm following the rules, I'm such a good person. And, you know, that's where the pleasure comes in. Because, and, it, yeah, and it, they're it, not it, like starving to death. You know, they're not, um, not yet. But if we just continue to let this go on, that that is going to happen. And it is happening to people already. There are people right on the edge of survival here. And, you know, it's like, who cares? Nobody. Okay. You know, um, but we just seem to be completely morally bankrupt as a society. Like, genuinely, oh, yeah. completely morally bankrupt. And it, it's almost like television and social media. You know, years ago, you had the church. And, you know, the church is totally gone by the wayside for the vast majority of people. And it kept, it kept you in check. It kept you, it, it, it also gave you comfort. It gave you succor. And, it, it, you know, you could speak to you. Now, what if people replace that with this vacuous sort of lifestyle of utter shite rubbish? Um, of no substance whatsoever. You know, when you've got you know young girls who emulate the likes of Kardashians, I mean, I mean how, how bad does this have to get? But this is where we're at. It, it's because people have no expectation of themselves. They look for, they look to follow. They're all followers. Nobody actually stands back and thinks, oh, wait a minute, that actually doesn't sound like it. They don't. There's comfort in the crowd. There's comfort in conformity. It, it's not nice to be the one that stands and says, actually, Mr. Emperor, you've not got any clothes on. People don't want to be that person and mm-hmm. to get the pleasure from this security blanket. Oh, they've got their WhatsApp group and they like this job, he's got that job. Mrs. So-and-so, she doesn't have a mask on. It gives them this pleasure because there's so little else in their lives. But their lives are going to become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because they still think there's this like this, this low-hanging fruit that they're going to get back by doing all these things and the branches are just going to get ratched up and ratched up and ratched up and it'll be COVID, it better not be climate change, it better not be something else. You ain't ever getting what you want to do back, all your freedoms, no. until you say no. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know I, I Truly, truly, truly hope. You know what? It's like Christian Ronaldo. It's when he, when he was the bottle of Coke was poked in front of him and he moved it and he went drink water. And what was it? 30 billion or something ridiculous went off the shares of Coke. And Christian Ronaldo came out and said, actually, I'm not getting jabbed. It's poisoned. Kids, don't take it. Kids don't take it. Yeah. You know, that's a fact. Kids won't take it. So, but, they, I mean, I'm not saying that Christian, but, but the, unfortunately, it's like the Jennifer Aniston's just come out and said, oh, you know, I, I, you know, cut off all my unvaccinated friends. Really, who cares about Jennifer Aniston? She's got all right hair and is a pretty mediocre actress. But it's like she's an oracle from front of knowledge about how, you know, people should be treating other people. Oh, the vaccine's great. I'm protecting others. No, you're not. <laughs> and but people buy into this. And then mm-hmm. people are taking their information from these kind of people you know you shouldn't be taking your information from Christian Ronaldo but maybe if we could get people who like somebody with that kind of status, is that what it takes if somebody of that status actually says hey kids, this, this stuff's going to poison you don't take it that, that's, that's how you would get changed but too much, but again the, the, these kind of people are frightened to speak out I mean, give Christian Ronaldo his day with a quote good on him but we did, I don't know if he's had the vaccine or not, I genuinely don't know. Um, but that's that's where your influence is. That, unfortunately, that is where influence is. And these people are all buying into 
um, I don't know about Christian Adam, but certainly your, your Hollywood elite and all that nonsense that fear our children take our, you know, I've seen children, too many adults as well, you know, take their mm-hmm. their advice from, if you like. It's people who have not got a clue, people who are just, really, what are they? And again, are getting probably paid a lot of money to do it, or you know they're going to lose a lot if you don't. So it's whole thing utterly corrupt, utterly corrupt, mm-hmm. and frightening. Uh, there we go. Well, that was a good chat, Lorraine. We've just gone <laughs> 45 minutes over our end. <laughs> Thank you so much for your openness and honesty. And it was interesting to hear about your son because the point I think you were making is that you know, they seem to be prepared to vaccinate him without asking very many questions at all. And that's very worrying. Didn't ask any questions. You know, the, the, the priority, all they wanted to do was vaccinate him. They were not looking at his records. And he's medicated. So it's not like it's a hole in the heart where a lot of children don't receive any medication once once that's solved. Aaron's condition is controlled, managed by medication. So one look at his, you know, a doctor looking at him, um, see he's on heart medication, and then to advocate, he should get that substance because he's special needs to me and horrendous. To me, that is, um, that's medical med- negligence. It really is. And I should have taken it further at the time. You know, all the kind of safeguards, protocols, they're just out the window. It's just vaccinate, 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 regardless of what I'm Yeah. yeah. Well, Lots of love to you and Aaron. Thank you very much, Liam. Bye. Oh, you're very welcome. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Steve. Bye. Thank you for listening. I found some of Lorraine's insights so interesting in that conversation. Sometimes when I go to do a new podcast interview, I think, do we have anything more to say? But it's incredible the things that can come out in conversations with new people. Keep having them. Lots of love to you.